Thank you, Tamara. That was a great song. There may be mountains in our way, but love will always win the day. I'm going to take that home with me. That was a great, great line, great time of worship, singing about the cross, singing about our wonderful Lord. Let me just add my welcome to you. I'm Pastor Danny Forshee, lead pastor here at Great Hills, and just want to offer a word of thanks to God on your behalf. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here today. Many of you have come up to me, and, and I saw it early this morning, and uh, many believers in Christ were, were killed, really martyred today in Egypt as ISIS blew up two uh, Egypt uh, Coptic Christian churches there and uh, just breaks my heart. We live in a very dangerous world, as you know, and uh, so our hearts go out to them and we're praying for them and we're also praying for us and praying for our nation, praying for uh, our president. In fact, why don't we do that now? Why don't we just stop and pause and lift up a prayer for these believers and for ourselves? Father, we do give you praise. We're grateful. For this day that uh, you have created, and a day of Palm Sunday, when we look back and remember your triumphal, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, as many sang praises to you and uh, lifted you up. Others, Lord, were critical and complaining. And, and Lord, here we are today, 2,000 years later, and, and not a lot has changed. There are a lot of people in this world, God, that love you and want to worship you. Jesus want to do acts of compassion and love. And yet there are those, Lord, that want to bring harm and pain. And the God of this age, the prince of the powers of darkness, has blinded the eyes of so many. And so we pray for them, God, that the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus would shine upon them and the shackles would fall from their eyes and they would be gloriously saved. And, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that, that mourn today, that are weeping. We pray that you would bring healing and, and comfort, Lord, restoration to them. Within our own church, Lord, I know that... And there are those that are grieving. There are those, Lord, that are awaiting test results and diagnosis of cancer. And so, Lord, our, our hearts are heavy on one hand, but, God, also our hearts are very light on the other. And so, Lord, help us to bring this together. And thank you, God, that you do bring it together as we celebrate the cross, as we celebrate the empty tomb. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is here. Thank you for our guests. May they know, God, that they are very, very welcome here. And there's no accident that they are here and pray that you'd speak to them and our membership as well. As we lift you up, Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 19 is the text, about 20 verses that describe the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And you're familiar with the scene, with the story. As people are lying in the streets of Jerusalem and they're waving palm branches and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save. Oh God, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is a very high water, pinnacle, apex, apex climactic moment in the believer's life where we see Christ riding on this donkey and he comes into Jerusalem and, and people are shouting Hosanna. And yet there's a small group on the side and they are all angry about this. And they're very upset about this. And they're, in fact, when Jesus gets off the donkey, they run up to him and they said to him, Tell those people to be quiet. Of course, that would be the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious aristocracy of Jesus' day. And the, you can just see them kind of cloistered over there and kind of a scowl on their face. And they're so angry about all these people and the joy and all these tax collectors and publicans and sinners. I mean, they're just coming to Jesus Christ. And, and while there's euphoria and while there is ecstasy and joy on the one hand, on the other hand, you have the scowl and the anger and the vitriol and, and, and they're rebuking Jesus. And remember what Jesus said? He said, listen, people, let me just tell you something. 
if these people don't start praising me, I'm telling these, somebody help me, what did they say? The rocks. I mean, the rocks are going to get verbal and start praising me, so let them alone. So our text today is a little bit of a different text for a Palm Sunday, but in order to understand really what's going on in Luke chapter 19, you have to understand Luke chapter 15. And so I want to read to you Luke chapter 15. I wish I had time this morning to share all the parables. There are three. There's a trilogy of parables that Jesus tells. And he prefaces all three of the parables with Luke 15, 1 and 2. And Luke 15, 1 and 2, he does a, I mean, a majestic job for us. He gives us the key characters of the plot of the story, and then he fleshes out those three characters, and they climax all the way over to Luke chapter 19, the triumphant entry, when you see the same three characters. Character number one is the preeminent character. That would be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the gift of heaven who came down in love and in compassion. Didn't martyr anybody, didn't kill anybody, didn't murder anybody, didn't harm anybody. He just came to love and to sacrifice his own life so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's the greatest love story ever told. And that is God had one son and he made him a missionary. He made him the savior of the world. He is figure number one. Figure number two in Luke chapter 15, one and two, you'll see them, they're called the toll collectors or the tax collectors and the sinners and those ostracized by society. They are the, they're the cast out ones. They're the ones who are living in sin. Man, they're deep in sin. They, they've committed wrong, egregious wrong against God. They know it. God knows it. The religious leaders know it. And yet they are drawn to Jesus Christ because they see in Jesus hope. They see in him, maybe he can give me the power to overcome my addictions my pain, my shame, my guilt, my repeated bad habits, bad choices, all wrong decisions, and they are drawn to Jesus Christ, and they're just looking at him and longing for him. Maybe you can help get me out of my mess. And that's exhibit two, that's character number two. And then character number three, you see them in Luke 15, one and two. They're the same guys in Luke 19 toward the end of the chapter. Their arms are folded. They're very, very angry. They're so upset. Number one, they're upset because of these nasty, dastardly sinners. These nasty sinners. They don't keep the law. They don't do what's right. And they're just, oh, they're just angry. They're the religious elite. And they are very angry with the sinners of the world. And by Jesus' association with them, they're also angry at him. So angry at him, they're going to kill him. Okay. Religious people can be very mean. <laughs> Religious people can be so deceived that they can, they can blow up entire churches thinking they've done God a favor, right? But unless we point our bony fingers at others, we have to be careful as Christians that we don't become so ossified and, and so religious and so we've got everything figured out that the moment somebody does something different or the moment a sinner starts making his way toward Jesus in an unconventional way, in a way in methodology that we don't really understand or appreciate, we have to be very, very careful lest we fold our arms and point our fingers, have a scowl on our face and oppose God and the work that God is doing. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask you something. And I know I'm reading the text, and I've got a lot in me, a lot, lot of message in me, but I want to abbreviate the message because I want to give us plenty of time. I don't want us to rush the Lord's Supper. But there are three characters 
And I want you to ask this question, with which character do I most relate? You with me? With which character do I most resemble? The sinner, Jesus, or the religious crowd? Then all the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near to him. Now, the antecedent for him is very clear. That would be Jesus. All the sinners, all the tax collectors, not all the religious people, right? They, they stiff-armed Jesus. They don't like Jesus. They don't appreciate Jesus and what he's doing because they're, they're so in tune with God, right? In fact, they're so in tune with God, they don't even think they need help. They don't even think they need to repent of sin because we don't have any sin. We're just right. We're as pure as the driven snow. And this Jesus character, he can't be from God because he keeps hanging out with them people. He keeps hanging out with the wrong people. And so they're just so upset. All the tax collectors, all the sinners draw near to Jesus. That's characters one and two. Here comes character three, verse two. And the Pharisees and the scribes, Gogusamas. I know it's an onomatopoeia if I ever saw one. It, it resembles the sound. It resembles the meaning. The very pronunciation of the word resembles the word that it is describing. That's what an onomatopoeia is. And the Greek word is gogusimos. And it sounds bad. It sounds like somebody's about to complain. And they complain and they said, this man, ooh, they don't even call him Jesus, right? This man is a very pejorative, derogatory term. A good way to say it would be, oh, that fella, <laughs> that guy over there, instead of saying the treasure of heaven, the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah, the perfect one, the coexistent, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit who's come out of heaven, they don't do that. They just say, that, that man, that guy, he receives, oh, should we even say the word in church? Oh, he receives sinners. And what's even worse, he eats with them. Oh, my word, did you see him over there at the tax collector's house? Jesus is sitting down, and he's just eating his little bread, and he's eating his little fish. Oh, what is the world coming to? That prophet, that guy who says he's from God, he's hanging out. He's contaminated. He's messed up. What are we going to do with him? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's get him off of the religious scene so that we, the true representatives of God, the true Pharisees and the religious aristocracy, and we can come in and we can put those people in their place. So Jesus said, I want to tell y'all something. <laughs> Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, here he comes. He's about to lower the boom on them. He's about to say a story, and he's going to say it three times and with each parable, each story, the value of that which is lost is going to increase. You're going to go from a lost sheep to a lost coin in the dowry of a married woman, which is expensive and it is important, but it's nothing compared to a son, to the value of a soul. And so you've got the context, right? You've got the three characters in Luke 15, identical characters in Luke 19, and the same characters in 2017 in Christendom and in Great Hills Baptist Church. You got Jesus, you got sinners, and you got us religious folk, okay? And I point at my chest because of the three 
You know which one is the easiest for me? You know which one's the easiest for me to resemble? It's the religious guy. Because, see, I've known Jesus now for 30 years, and I've got it kind of mapped out. I kind of got it figured out. And I know how people are supposed to react. And, I, and you know, I appreciate Jesus, you know, doing it like, like I think he should do. But the moment something changes, the moment things don't work the way I think they ought to work, then I get mad. And I fold my arms, and I begin to complain. Not that any of you do that, right? I see your angelic halos over your head. I'm just being real with you guys. If you're not careful, a religious person will miss God. Wow. Okay, what's the story? Here's the story. This is such a cool story. So I want to tell you this parable. And he said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness? And he goes after I've been studying this text now for two weeks. I've never preached a sermon on Luke 15, 1 through 7. Yes, I've, I love the parable of the prodigal son, but I've always missed the lost sheep. And I was reading it just a couple weeks ago. I was like, the Holy Spirit just, he's grabbed my heart when it said, and the shepherd went after the one that was lost. And watch this little prepositional phrase, until he found it. Isn't that rich? Isn't, and by the way, the parable that we're reading all three characters are represented. <laughs> All three of us are represented. The good shepherd will be Jesus, the lost sheep is the sinner, and the 99 that don't need to repent are the religious people. Okay, sorry, let, let me get back to the story. <laughs> and when he has found it, the sheep, the lost sheep, maybe even cast sheep. Y'all know what a cast sheep is, right? <laughs> That's a cast sheep. That's a cast sheep. A cast sheep. <laughs> oh, man, dirty. Cast sheep's pitiful. All fours up in the air, and he's just moving and he's shaking, and he's got a round, rotund, circular belly, and he can't get over, and he's a messed up guy. He needs help. You know how a cast sheep gets turned up right? He doesn't. He doesn't. The wolf comes and eats him. The only hope only hope he's got is a good shepherd who'll go find him. Hey, there, little sheep. Flip him up right. <laughs> then he goes back to the fold, right? So the shepherd, he finds him, he turns him up right, and he puts him on his shoulders, and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep, which was lost. And I say to you, now we, we recognize this, don't we? We, we? we know this verse. It's repeated again in the parable of the lost coin. And then it just comes to a climax in the parable of the lost son. I say to you, <laughs> Jesus is just going to start preaching here for just a minute. All right, he's, he's moving out of the parabolic genre realm. He just starts preaching just a little bit. I'm telling you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons. I don't know that Jesus did this, but I know this is what he meant. Who need no repentance. Did y'all catch that? So you got the three characters. 
You got Jesus, the Son of God. He is the good shepherd, right? In John 10, 10 and 11, he tells us that. It's one of the seven great I am sayings. He said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. So he's telling us in the parable, it, that's me. I'm the good shepherd who goes after the sheep. The good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. The second group in the parable mentioned in verse 1 would be the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, it's interesting that the sinners loved to hang around Jesus. Can I just ask you all this? How comfortable are sinners hanging around you? <laughs> How comfortable are they around me? My homosexual friends and my neighbors and my party-going friends, how, how comfortable are they around me? Do they, see in, do they see in me this? Oh, you're sick. You just make me sick. You're reprehensible to God and to all creatures that are righteous. I'm going to tell you something. If you have that going on, sinners are going to go, what? Stay away from that church. Stay away from that guy because they they're not interested in you. They want to kill you, all right? And, and I think about it, tax collectors, publicans, sinners, they're hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is laughing and he's, he's just having, he's having a good time with them. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Don't miss this. Mm, Jesus loves them so much. He can't leave them the way they are. So he wants to bring them out of their immorality. He wants to take them out of their homosexuality. He wants to take them out of their lust. He wants to, he wants to lift them out of the pornography. He wants to lift them out of all that sin and bring them to himself and wash them up good and clean clean and lead them to heaven. That's, that's what Jesus wants to do. And they know that. And they're good with that. They're good with that. Lost people are lost, but they're not ignorant and dumb. They know this when they see it. And they know this when they see it. And then there they are. The publicans, the sinners, the outcast. Also, Luke chapter 19, before you get to the triumphant entry, in verses 1 through 10, there's a scene. All these characters are there again. It's like Luke is going, hello, trying to get your attention. Watch this. And Jesus, preeminent figure, is walking through, walking through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And there meets him a man who climbs up in a tree. He is a tax collector named Zacchaeus, you see. And he is a short little fellow, and he can't see above the tall people's heads. Amen. Welcome to my world, Zacchaeus. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to climb up in a tree. And he does. Remember the story? Same characters. Jesus is walking by. He's smiling. He's preaching the gospel. He's enjoying life. He's doing what God wants him to do. And Zacchaeus is like, woohoo, there he is. And Jesus says, hey, tax collector, sinner Zacchaeus, get on out of that tree because today I'm coming to your house. He comes out of the tree. He receives Jesus joyfully in his home. And then he receives Jesus joyfully in his heart when he repents. But they, check it, verse 7, but they complained and they murmured and they said, oh, Gone to be a guest 
with a man who is a sinner. So there you have them. And which one do you relate to? No, I'm really serious. To whom do you relate? I want to relate more to the, to the Lord who loves people who is righteous, the only really righteous one, pure as the driven snow. I want to relate to him. He has joy in his life. He has compassion for the lost. And he, he, he lets the religious people have it. I mean, he tells them, listen, guys, you are stiff. You're not going to heaven. You think you are. And you're stiff-arming people, the very people that want to come to me and go with me to paradise and to glory. You are preventing them. And here's the thing that, that gets me about the scribes and the Pharisees and the legal experts of the law. They are the ones who are supposed to be loving and helping the hurting. Did you get that? I think that's why Jesus burns with this righteous indignation because the very people who know the law, who supposedly know that God is a just, holy, loving, awesome God, they are the ones. They're supposed to be bringing in the sinners and bringing in the hurting and, and bringing in the hopeless. But instead of bringing them in, they're casting them out. And I think that's why Jesus Christ gets really upset with them. Because when we begin to do things that push people away from God rather than draw people toward God, we begin to get the discipline of God. There are two things I want to share with you just, just briefly. You say, well, what have you been doing in the last 20 minutes just sharing with us? I've just been meddling in your mess. That's all I've been doing. I've just been getting up in your world a little bit, up in my world. But there are two things I want to share with you to make you just a little matter. I mean, except to help you just a little bit. The first one, well, b before I share the first one with you, let me get this straight. In the parable, whenever you have the genre of parabolic sayings of Jesus, it's not eschatology, it's not end times genre, it's not writings, prophet, law, didactic, epistle, it's none of that. Parables are different. In the parabolic sayings, you can glean many truths, and we do, but there's always one primary focal point. There's one thing that God does not want you to miss. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I think, the one main point, the central idea of the text, the theses of Luke chapter 15 is this. God rejoices when a lost sinner comes home. That's it. Jesus said... Let me show you a little holy hoot nanny party. Let me show you some shouting going on in heaven. It's when one of those sinners says, God, I am sorry. I have blown it. Man, I've messed it. Can you help me out? Woo! There's some joy in heaven. People are like in heaven going, wow, wow, wow. Man, this is awesome. He repented. She came to faith. She left that life, and now she's embracing Jesus. Man, ain't that awesome? That's the main point of the parable, right? But... The couple of, if I can extrapolate just a couple of truths in light of that, I, I want to share this with you. Number one is religious people. We often miss God. You say, now you're making me nervous, Brother Danny, because you keep saying we. I don't know about you, but you be talking about me. And I don't miss God because I know God. Me and God are good. And if I want to get up with, upset with sinners and I want to get mad with something that doesn't go right the way I want to do it, then that's my prerogative. And you miss God. I miss God. How many times do I miss God 
because I'm too. I'm too busy judging people that God wants to bring to himself. Religious people often do more harm than they do good. I'm not talking about the jihadist, Islamic, crazy people, which we know they do, but I'm talking about good Baptist folk. We get God in a box, we get God all figured out, and the moment things begin to change, the moment things begin to step out of our comfort zone, our methodology, we go gusamos. It, it, it usually has an order to it. I think I'm going to look at my notes for just a minute and make sure I'm in the right place. Here we go. It usually goes from offense to complain to attack to division to missing God completely. Tom Rainer has become like the prophet of Southern Baptist. I don't know if, if you've seen that or not. He happens to be the president of Lifeway Christian Resources. And that is a phenomenal ministry. It is the publication arm of Southern Baptist. You see Lifeway stores all over America. And Tom Rainer, great scholar, PhD scholar, and also a pastor. But Tom Rainer, it's like over the last few years, he has put on a prophetic hat, and he brings it, and he, he more than most know what is going on in Southern Baptist Zion. Southern Baptists are dying. They're dying. Christendom's not dying. Non-denominational churches aren't dying, but Southern Baptists are. And like Tom Rainer sees this, and he's diagnosed this. He goes, why are we dying? Why are we, 90% of us plateaued and declined? Why is only a small group of Southern Baptists growing? And he goes, I know why. And he's like, you, you see this passion in him. You see this concern for him and, and for us. And he, he runs to his keyboard, and he types these words, and he goes, urgent message, church. We change or we will die completely. And then he says these words. He said, we've got to abandon entitlement as Southern Baptist. Your church is not a country club where you pay your dues, get your perks and your privileges. It is a gospel outpost where you are to put yourself last. Don't seek to get your way with the music, with the temperature, with the length of the sermons. Amen. Amen. Here is a simple guideline. Be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. That's the opposite of the entitlement mentality. 200 churches will close this week, maybe more. I'm, I'm not joking with y'all. I'm not kidding. 200 of our people, 200 of our churches will close their doors this week. And Rainer, Dr. Rainer says, maybe more. The pace will accelerate unless our congregations make some dramatic changes. The need is urgent. Hear me well, church leaders and church members, for many of your churches, the choice is simple, change or die. Time is running out. Please, I'm still reading him, by the way. Please, for the sake of the gospel, 
Forsake yourself and make the changes now in God's power. I plead with you. I beg with you. Do it now. Nobody knows Christendom, especially Southern Baptists, better than Dr. Tom Rainer. And he is saying, please, please, if I could just paraphrase Tom Rainer for just a moment in closing this brief message today. Jettison this. Jettison that. If you stay there, you die. And Ed Stetzer came along a few weeks ago, and I was sitting in a room with him, and I heard him say these words. And man, I almost wept, I almost passed out when he said, many people over here, they would rather keep their traditions and what they want than see their grandchildren reached for the gospel. He says, move out of that. Move into this world. This world's messy. (laughs) This world looks a little different. This world's got lots of sinners and lots of folks who aren't living for God, but you got Jesus in this world. By the way, he's not in this world. He's in this world, and he's loving on them. He's not compromised. You'll never see Jesus compromised, right? And you're never going to see me compromise the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, but you will see me compromise everything else. The way I dress. Some people want me to dye my hair, but I just can't do that. I, I'm sorry. I just, you know, cool left the building, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But songs, genre, music, aesthetics, what things look like, all of that, all of that. Listen, if, if that is going to keep people away from Jesus, then I got to change that. I can't change this, and I'll never want to change this but I don't want to live here. Here is death. It's nauseating. It's a slow dying. Southern Baptist churches, this is, a lot of us is where we are. So he says, move out of that realm, move into this realm of investing in people, loving on people, looking at Jesus the way he operated. And and they tell me I wasn't there. I was of the wrong gender. I could not come. But yesterday there were like 75 women, Great Hills, Baptist church, church ladies. (laughs) And it was awesome. Because I've seen the pictures and I've heard the stories from my own wife who was there going, we have some amazing women in our church, older women, younger women, and they're having a passion for Jesus and they want to disciple younger women. It's like, wow, just let me do a a little dance, baby. Man, that's exciting. Older women nurturing and discipling younger women. Okay, point number two, and I'm done. Religious people often miss God. I know, we do. Number two, repentance is key. Repentance is key to everlasting joy and everlasting life. Okay, there are three groups up here, right? There's only one that doesn't need to repent, right? It's him, Jesus. He's never sinned. He's never done anything wrong. This group, they got to repent, they got to change their ways. They got to change their legalism. They've made sacred the methodology when only the theology should be sacred. And Jesus says, please change before you die. And then he looks over here to these people. Now, some of y'all are like, would you ever get, you going to talk to them people, brother? And those people, they come on now, talk to them. I'm going to talk to them. I am going to talk to them. And you know what? These people are right. They're all right. They're like, yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I know it. I've blown it. 
I've messed up. Mercy, I messed up last night. How about that? And Jesus says, I want you all to know something. I sure do love you. I died for you. Yes, you messed up. Everybody's messed up but me. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm not messed up. But I've come to help you. I've come to lift you up and, and to just cleanse you. Yes, to, to make you whole. Yes. But listen, listen, trust me. I know you've sinned and I love you anyhow. How about that message? Do you think those people ever talk like that? <laughs> Very seldom. And in my weaker moments, and when I'm slipping away from God, though I think I'm close to God, I just... Sinners. Man, sinners, one of them. They just, just don't get it, don't you? And they're over here going, no, we don't get it. <laughs> we don't get it. And you didn't get it either before you got it. You were just like me. You were lost without Jesus, but somebody had compassion on you and they, and they reached out to you and you met God and you got changed. And now make sure you're more like him than them. So we come to the table today and I, I want point number two just to stay in your mind, stay in your heart. Repentance is the key. It's the key for the religious folk. It's key for the unrighteous folk. Repentance is the key. So let's, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer as the men come and deacons come and we observe the Lord's Supper today. Hey, guys, there's a lot that we've tried to unpack out of this and we need many more hours to just scratch the surface, I believe. But I think we've caught a glimpse of who Jesus is, who the sinners are, who the Pharisees are. And as you come to the table today, let's all come with repentance. Let's all come saying, God, I am sorry. I have blown it, and I do need you to forgive me. And I want to be more like you, Jesus. Can, can we all agree to that? Can we all not agree to that? We're none of us are perfect. All of us need help. And we're going to come as we drink this juice, as we eat this bread. What we are doing is saying, I'm not right. But Jesus is right, and I, and I need him. I need that broken body, that precious blood to wash over me, to cleanse me of my sin, of my hypocritical, judgmental, legalistic, pharisaical spirit. And I need Jesus. Some of you here today, for the very first time, check this out, the very first time you came to church, somebody invited you. You had no idea what it would be. You didn't know if we'd be handling snakes, drinking something. You didn't know what, what are these people doing? And what you found was a Savior who loves you. And He just wants to, He wants to bring you in close. He wants to know, He wants you to know that He knows and He still loves you. But He loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. So surrender your heart. Surrender your heart to Him. Father, we come we come today, Lord, just, um, God, we're bare. We have been exposed by the Word of God, all of us. And now, Lord, when we come to the table today, all of us have something for which we need to repent, and all of us have something for which we need to be grateful. And so, Lord, this is just going to be a sweet time. So, Lord, just speak to us. Lift us up, God. Help us, oh God. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.